Father, we do pray for the church around the world would model your heart, your heart for equality and unity. Lord, your heart for unity in the midst of diversity. And we pray, Lord, that we as Grace Me Church would model it better and better for our community. Lord, we also pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word now, that you would anoint me to speak clearly and simply, and you would, by the power of your spirit, enable all of our hearts to receive, Lord, what it is that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you came in, you got a straw. So go ahead and take your straw out. And I had one in my pocket, and I just lost it. <laughs> How can you lose a straw? Okay, thank you, bro. Okay, I want you to take the straw. By the way, this is biodegradable straw. So nobody get on my case about this later. Okay. <laughs> and I want you to look through it and just look at your hand through the straw. How much of your hand can you see through the straw? Not very much. Now I want you to imagine if you had a straw that was eight foot long. How much would you be able to see of anything through an eight foot long straw? Not very much. Now I want you to imagine that you took an eight foot long straw and the, Hella, the Hubble telescope looked through it into the sky. You know what it would see? It would see one ten millionth of the total sky. One ten millionth of the total sky. Do you know what that looks like? I want you to see it. Go ahead and put that slide up there. That's through an eight-foot-long straw. That's one ten-millionth of the total sky, and that is 10,000 galaxies. 10,000. These aren't stars. These are galaxies you're seeing. Some 10,000 galaxies in one ten millionth of the total sky. See, the universe is full of the glory of God. It is full of the glory of God. But let me tell you one place in the universe that is not full yet of the glory of God. And that is the earth. Now, we've been doing this series called God's Grand Story. It's the story of the Bible. And I want to get back to that series today. And I'll remind you what God's goal was from the very beginning of history. Remember, the story of the Bible begins with the story of creation in the book of Genesis, creation of, of Adam and Eve. And that story has an appointed end. History is going somewhere. God has actually appointed the goal of history before the foundation of the world. And under his overarching divine providence, all these events of history will eventually serve his end goal. Now, what is his end goal? What, where is history headed? Where is God guiding history? 
The book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 21, tells us, it says this. This is God speaking. He says, indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So that is where God is taking history. That is the end goal. And God is committed to arranging and disposing of the events of history and of our lives to reach that goal. So as we've been doing this series, we saw some of what God is doing to reach that goal. We get to Genesis chapter 6 and we find out that mankind has gotten so evil and is going such a wrong direction that God decides he just has to start over. And so he destroys the entire human race except for Noah and his family. And he starts over, headed in the right direction, the direction that one day the whole earth could be filled with the glory of the Lord. But then we get to Genesis chapter 11. And mankind is not filling the earth with the glory of God. But mankind is gathered all at one place the Tower of Babel, and they're not glorifying God, they're glorifying man. So God has to intervene again. He goes and he confuses all their languages, which is why we have all these languages in the world today, because God did it. And he also divides the people into different ethnicities, which is why we have all the different ethnicities on the earth. And he spreads them across the globe scatters them. Why? To start over, get things headed in the right direction so that one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. By the way, this is an important principle for us to understand that even in our lives, if your life is headed in the wrong direction, if your life is headed in a direction where God cannot accomplish his goal in your life, and don't be surprised if he intervenes and causes your life to be headed a different direction, the right direction, where he can accomplish what he wants to do. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12. Now, after God scattered the nations all over the earth, he chooses one man by the name of Abram. God changes his name to Abraham. And then he promises Abraham that one day a great nation will come from him. And that nation will be a blessing to all the nations of the whole earth. That nation, which we know is the nation Israel, was birthed by Abraham. Abraham has Isaac as a son. Isaac has Jacob as a son. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's plan was that Israel would would give revelation of the one true God to all the nations of the world so that what? So the whole earth could be filled with the glory of the Lord. Well, one day Israel cried out for a king. Like all the nations, they said, we want a king like the nations around us have a king. So God granted Israel a king, a king by the name of Saul, followed by a king by the name of David, followed by a king by the name of Solomon. And all through that time, there was a united kingdom of Israel. Let me stop here and just remind you of how we are doing the Old Testament. 
We're trying to remember, uh, remember the Old Testament in terms of six parts. We have beginnings, creation, the book of Genesis. We have wilderness wanderings under Moses. The nation of Israel is wandering the wilderness. And then we have third part, the promised land, led into the promised land by Joshua, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges. And the fourth part is a united kingdom of Israel. In the promised land, we have King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. The fifth part is what we're going to look at today is a divided kingdom. The united kingdom of Israel after Solomon is split. It is fractured. We have a divided kingdom. Solomon, the king with a divided heart, set the stage for a divided kingdom after him. What happens after Solomon is there are nine tribes of the 12 tribes. Nine tribes of the north are split off of two tribes of the south, Judah and Benjamin. And then there's the tribe of the Levites that are spread throughout both regions. So just as God had said, most of the kingdom will be ripped from Solomon's son, and it was. So I just get this now. So the nation of Israel that is called to bring revelation of the one true God to the nations of the world is now itself split, fractured, and compromising. So the nation that's supposed to be communicating the truth about God is now so fractured and so ineffective and so compromising that it's not doing it. So God begins to persistently and passionately call Israel back to himself, first of all, that this nation would, that fracture between him and them would be healed, but also he begins to do a work that one day they might be able to accomplish their purpose and their mission. So the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon becomes the divided kingdom, and what a mess it is. So as you read through the books of First and Second Kings and the books of First and Second Chronicles, you're reading about a mess. In fact, you'll read about some 20 evil kings that are leading Israel, who are separated from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and they are worshiping all kinds of false gods. So instead of being a revelation to the nations as of the one true God, they themselves have compromised and are worshiping false gods. What a mess. What a mess we have. And it all starts with Solomon's son, whose name is Rehoboam. He's heir to the throne. So what do we know about, what do we know about Rehoboam? Well, here's a verse that tells us a lot about him. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 Verse 14 says, And he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. It doesn't say that Rehoboam did evil because he was evil. It says he did evil because of something he did not do. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He did not make a resolute decision that he would spend time with the Lord, worshiping him, talking to him, and listening to him. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 tells us something really important for us to understand, especially, I think, even as we begin a new year. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. See, Rehoboam didn't understand that the days are evil. He didn't understand that in life there is a current, a current that you have to resist or you will be caught up in this current and you'll become like your culture. If you don't resist the current of culture, the days are evil, you will begin to compromise and begin to make unwise and unrighteous choices. Rehoboam didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. He got caught up in the evil days and began to make really, really bad choices. It's a good time to stop and just think about as we start 2023, I'm going to ask you the question, have you set your heart to seek the Lord in 2023? Have you made a resolute, deliberate decision That in 2023, I'm going to spend time worshiping the Lord, listening to the Lord, talking to the Lord. See, if you don't make a deliberate decision, a choice, if you don't somehow schedule it to do it, then because the days are evil, you'll be caught up in some current of culture. And you'll begin to make some compromising decisions. You will. It will happen. And so it's real important that we have an answer to that question. What is your plan? If your plan is no plan, then you're going to make some unwise decisions in 2023. Some may be very costly. So we need to begin by saying, I'm going to set my heart to seek the Lord. And that should show up in your schedule. It has to show up in our schedule somewhere. Obviously, it showed up in your schedule enough that you're here today. And you're making some decision to hear the word of God. And that's good. Make this a habit. Make it a habit to also meet in small groups. Make it a habit to spend time with God on a daily basis. Make those decisions. Stick with them. Well, let's see how this played out in Rehoboam's life. Rehoboam comes to a major decision in his life. And we shouldn't be surprised, based on what we've already seen about him, that he's not ready for this decision. He's not ready for it. Second Chronicles chapter 10, King Solomon has died. Rehoboam is preparing to assume the throne. All of Israel has gathered for the coronation. This is a big deal. Now, before the people pledge their allegiance to Rehoboam, they present to him a request. Their request is very simple. They asked if Rehoboam would relieve some of the overburden, some that they load that their, his father Solomon put on them. They said, if you'll just kind of relieve some of the burden, we'll serve you. Let's read it. 2 Chronicles 10, verse 4 and 5. Here's what they said to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we'll serve you. And he said to them, return to me again in three days. So the people departed. So before Rehoboam gives them an answer, 
he's going to seek out some counsel, which it seems like he's really on the right track at first. This is wise to do. You're about to make a major decision. You should seek out some counsel. So 2 Chronicles 10.6, let's read this. So then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer the people? So first he gathers the older, wiser men who advised his father, who have all this experience, who know these people. He asks for their advice. So they offer their recommendation. Here it is, 2 Chronicles 10.7. If you'll be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they'll be your servants forever. So great, godly, wise counsel comes to Rehoboam. So what will Rehoboam do? 2 Chronicles 10.8. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he's, he basically is forsaking this older, wiser, experienced, good counsel. And he's going to speak to these younger men who were, he grew up with who are basically about his age. What was their counsel? Here it is. Here's their counsel. Second Chronicles 10, verse 10 and 11. And the young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make, our, make it lighter for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So Rehoboam takes the count, their counsel over the counsel of these older, wiser men. And then when he announces to the people his intention that he's going to be harder on them than his father was, most of Israel renounces their allegiance to Rehoboam as their king, and the nation is split. I want you to think about this. It took 120 years to build a kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. And it only took days for Rehoboam to blow it up. Now, what's behind the foolishness of Rehoboam? What's behind it is pride. It's pride that causes us to foolishly turn away from listening to sound advice. So how do the people respond to Rehoboam? Here's how they respond. Verse 16, and when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what portion do we have with David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So all Israel departed to their tents. The result is a split. The nine northern tribes form one group, which as you read through 1 and 2 Kings, or 1 and 2 Chronicles, is called Israel. The two southern tribes, Judah, because Benjamin then joins Judah, will be called Judah. And the Levites, again, are scattered among both groups. 
But pride is so destructive. I want you to see how pride did this. How pride is really behind this fracture. First, pride can tempt us to underestimate our ignorance. It is amazing how much unfound confidence we can place in the very little that each one of us knows. And we see this in Rehoboam. Regardless of the fact that these older men had decades of experience and wisdom, decades, he goes ahead and believes his peers that they know better. By the way, if if you have a major decision to make in your life and you're not getting counsel from some older, wiser people about your decision, you're being unwise. If you've got a major decision to make and you're not getting some counsel from some older, wiser people, you're being unwise. See, sometimes our problem isn't that we just don't know. Sometimes our problem is we don't know what we don't know. We don't know how ignorant we really are. I'll give you another one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, and that is, everyone is ignorant just in different things. See, pride can tempt us to underestimate our ignorance. That's the first step. What's the next step? Step number two, pride wants to avoid appearing weak. Pride wants to avoid appearing weak. Now, in the ancient Near East, the most respected and successful kings were kings who were strong and ruthless. And they projected this image loud and clear. They would not, these, these kings would never allow their subjects to set the terms. And what, so what message would Rehoboam send if he domestically and even internationally, if he capitulated to his people's demands? See, Rehoboam's decision was, was not made with faith in God's power. He wasn't seeking the Lord, remember? And it wasn't made with his concern about the good of the people. That wasn't it either. His concern was his reputation. How is it going to look? I want to look tough. I want to look ruthless. I want to be feared. See, our prideful reluctance, sometimes to be viewed as weak, can easily distort our decisions and our plans. I don't know if you've ever done it. Have you ever just laid back in, in your bed and thought, if I had a whole do-over in my life, what would I do different? One time I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, one thing I would do different is I would have gone to my father for more advice than I did. See, after I, once I left for college, I, I, I saw it as weakness to ask my father for advice. I wanted for him to see me as strong, and I thought I'd look strong if I never asked him for advice. And if I had to do over, I'd ask him for a lot more advice, because he's a smart man great experience in so many things. What kept me from it was pride. See, pride wants to avoid appearing weak. A lot of times we don't ask advice because we, because of our pride. We think we would appear weak to ask for advice. What's the third step? After pride wants to avoid appearing weak, number three, pride predetermines the counsel it will accept. In other words, a prideful person may get some counsel, but they're already convinced that they know best. And so 
they've already, they will predetermine what counsel they really want to even listen to. And so it's hard to imagine that Rehoboam really weighed the counsel. Wait, wait a second. Here, here's, I have these older, wiser men with all this experience advising me this, and I have these young guys that I grew up with, a bunch of knuckleheads. Hmm. Whose advice should I consider? And by the way, you can't just choke, you know, chalk it all up to Rehoboam was just young and naive. He's actually 41 years old this time. And these guys grew up with him. He already knew what they thought. And as power dynamics work, it's likely his advisors are feeding Rehoboam what they believe he really wanted to hear anyway. See, he really wasn't looking for advice. What Rehoboam was looking for is validation of his predetermined plan. So here it is. So in pride, we start off by we underestimate our ignorance. And then we avoid appearing weak, so we don't ask for advice. But if we do ask for advice, then we predetermine what counsel we're going to accept because we think we already know the best answer. I just want you to think about how that one thing that Rehoboam does, that one decision, how that just blows up where God is trying to take everything. You know, how much of, you know, in our lives have so many things been derailed because of pride? You ever thought about that? How much of your life really kind of took some really bad turns because of pride? Well, you know, one of the things that we've done, Grace Community Church, we've indirectly been involved in planting churches in other countries, but also we've been directly, we have been directly involved in planting churches in our, in our community, our own city. We've planted into three other churches. Many of you don't, aren't aware of this. And uh, but one of those churches no longer no longer exists. It was going well, it was growing well, and then they had a problem. This church plan had a problem, and they could have come to us, our elders, a Grace Community Church. We could have solved that problem in one afternoon. It really wasn't. I mean, it, they lacked they lacked wisdom, and they, they didn't come to us. They made the decision on their own, and the church blew up. And, you know, you just think, you know, it's just sometimes you think, I don't want to ask advice because we'll appear weak. And, and we, they, we, want to, we can handle this. We can do it. So here's a challenge of walking in wisdom and seeking wise counsel and listening to others carefully is it is a humbling thing to do. We have to humble ourselves if we're going to get wisdom, if we're going to ask for advice. But walking in humility and not pride is always the best route. It is always the best route. See, here's the funny thing about pride. The funny thing about pride is what the person with pride really wants is to be honored. They want to be honored. And pride is the very thing that keeps them from being honored. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me show you. In fact, I want to give you... Five things from the book of Proverbs on how to attain honor. Real quick. How to attain honor from the book of Proverbs. I want you to think about Rehoboam because he misses all five counts. First one says, the one who gains wisdom gains honor. Proverbs 3.35, the wise will inherit honor, but if a fools display dishonor. So wisdom, through wisdom we gain honor. Proverbs 4.8, 
talking about wisdom in this, in this passage, says, prize her wisdom and she will exalt you. She will honor you, wisdom, if you embrace her, if you embrace wisdom. You receive what? Honor. So the way to gain wisdom is to seek the Lord and to seek wise counsel from others, and you obtain honor. All right, secondly, humility comes before honor. Proverbs 15.33, before honor comes humility. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. But humility goes before honor. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride brings him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Third thing, again, the way to true honor is not by pride, but by humility. Number three, the one who is gracious attains honor. Proverbs 11.16 says, a gracious woman attains honor. So the way to honor is being gracious, not by being harsh. Fourth, the one who regards reproof attains honor. Proverbs 13.18, he regards reproof will be honored. So the way to honor is to be pay attention to reproof, pay attention to rebuke, and don't disregard it. Number five, the one who avoids strife attains honor. Proverbs 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is honor for a man. So the way to honor is by avoiding strife, not instigating it. Rehoboam fails on all five guidelines for attaining honor. That's why he's rejected by most of Israel. That's why he's brought about this division, by the way, that's going to haunt Israel now for hundreds of years. So as we wrap it up here, I think the lesson is pretty simple for all of us. The takeaway is don't be like Rehoboam. So we need to set our hearts to seek the Lord, number one. Number two, we need to be those who seek wise counsel, who humble ourselves, seek wise counsel. And number three, that we, always, we need to be those who always choose the low road, the road of humility, not the road of pride, that we might walk with honor. So let's stand for prayer, and this, we're going to have a ministry time here just for a few minutes. There are some of us that would just have to be honest and say, you know, I've made some prideful decisions that, uh, worship team, go ahead and come on up here. Aaron, where are you at? Okay, Aaron, come on up. Some of us have made decisions of pride that have gotten us in some kind of mess, maybe some low level, high level, whatever. But you're thinking, you know what? I did that in pride. And this would be a great day to confess that to the Lord and, and humble yourself. And humble yourself. And ask the Lord to, to lead you and lead you into wise counsel. And there's a song that was sung a long time ago. In fact, it was sung, it was written by a friend of mine. It's in the top 100 praise songs of all time. That he actually came to Grace for a while. He moved to Colorado. But the song is Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord. And there's some of you today just say, you know what, I, whatever the situation you got in through pride, that during this ministry time, you, say, you want to just come up, come up, kneel down, whatever. Bow your head and just say, Lord, and just confess it to the Lord. And by the way, if, if pride got you into this mess, pride might also keep you in your chair right now. Because you're saying, I don't want to humble myself and even go up in front of anybody. And I'm saying, 
No, if you want honor in your life, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So, Father, you know where everyone is in this room. You know those who, Lord, are hearing your word and realize they need to humble themselves, humble themselves in your sight right now, regardless of some decision they made in pride. So, Lord, would you just now make this a safe place for us just to do business with you and humble ourselves for any pride. So as we sing this song, if that's you, just slip on up here and just lay it before the Lord. Father, we confess our pride to you. Confess, Lord, that we have this overconfidence in our ignorance. Confess, Lord, we don't want to appear weak. Lord, we confess that we have not humbled ourselves when, and asked for advice and went headlong into a decision that cost us. It was painful, unnecessary. We just want to lay our pride before you, Lord. Lay it down. We confess it. We hate it, Lord. We hate it, and yet we go back to it so easily. We hate it. Today, we choose to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before you. We want to walk, Lord, 
as those who set our hearts to seek the Lord, ask for advice when we need it. And Lord, those who take the low road of humility, which is the road of honor. So Lord, we pray for Lord, our church in the days to come. Lord, would you lead us with your wisdom? Lead our elders, our pastors, our, our teachers, our small group leaders, all of, Lord, our, our congregation. Lead us and lead us with wisdom, Lord, that we might be a church that brings you the most honor. And that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name.